Testament, some of the main passages of Scripture in the New Testament that describe marriage talk about how marriage is to be a picture of Christ in the church, an image of what an image of the sacrificial love of God that the watching world should be able to look at a Christian marriage and say, I know more who your God is like by watching your marriage between you two, between this husband and this wife. But we turn to the book of Proverbs. What Proverbs focuses on as we address marriage is that Proverbs addresses the realities of making a marriage flourish in the midst of the brokenness of our lives and in the midst of the brokenness of our relationships. So let's pray and set this time apart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we ask, Lord, that you would send your Spirit to open our hearts and our minds to the truths of your Word. Lord, that you, by your Spirit, would make our marriages flourish for the honor of your name. We pray this. Amen. Who am I going to marry? It's a question that anyone who has thought about getting married has wrestled through in their life. Who is it that I am going to marry? And the bigger question is, how do I find this magical Mr. or Mrs. Right that is out there somewhere? How on earth am I going to find this person? And I think for those who are Christians and who are seeking to honor the Lord, sometimes that challenge can be a little bit greater. Because it's not just who is someone that I'm attracted to, but it's a question of who is a person? Where can I find a person who loves the Lord? who is going to help me grow in my own relationship with the Lord, and that together we are going to join in marriage and serving the Lord. And I think it's a challenge for many young women, is that they look through Scripture, they think about what a godly man is that they want to marry. They think about the biblical ideals out th- that's laid out in Scripture, and the thought that goes through their mind is, does this person even exist? <laughs> So, too, young men (laughs) who are looking to marry and thinking through who is this godly woman that they're praying for God to bless bless them with, ask the question, where is she? Is she even on this planet? And the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, the Apostle Paul, the book of Proverbs actually expresses some of this challenge in two verses. Where do I find this person? Many a man proclaims his steadfast love, but a faithful man Who can find? Where is this guy? Where is this faithful man, Mr. and Mrs. Wright? So too, Christian men who are pursuing a Christian wife come along and they read Scripture, they read Proverbs 31, and they this expresses them, an excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. I've never found a rare jewel. What luck am I going to have in finding an excellent wife? And so... People progress seeking this Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and maybe their wedding day comes around and this is the person that they've decided to marry, the person that they are about to commit their life to, and they get married, and they have a wonderful wedding ceremony, and then sometimes marriage goes along, and the marriage progresses, and they wake up one day and say, this is not Mrs. Wright. This is not Mr. Perfect. This is not the person that I dreamed that I hoped I would marry. We turn here to the book of Proverbs. What Proverbs shows us here and it begins to address is how do you make a more marriage flourish in the midst of the reality of life? How do you make a marriage flourish in the midst of the brokenness that all of us deal with? So as we begin to look at this, we're going to look at four aspects of that. But before we do so, 
want to look what Proverbs says about the, purpose, the purposes of marriage. First one laid out in Proverbs that we'll address comes in Proverbs chapter 2, which is companionship. Proverbs chapter 2, this passage is describing the adulterous woman and what the adulterous woman does. And so the Proverbs, the sage, is warning his son to avoid the adulterous woman. And in this discourse, it highlights some of the key aspects of marriage. Proverbs chapter 2 says, Avoid the adulterous woman so that you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. We're focusing on this last phrase here, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. What's worth pointing out here is that the description of marriage in this verse is that someone, what the adulteress has done or the adulterer has done, has forsaken the companion of her youth, the companion of the person that they married. The word companion through the book of Proverbs is a word that's used pretty restricted. It has a pretty restrictive usage. It's reserved for someone who is the closest friend, someone who is the deepest and truest ally. And the idea here being is that the, the person that someone marries is their companion, someone who is their deepest and closest friend, someone who will be a companion that is mutual help in serving the Lord, someone who will stick with them thick and thin and grow them in service to the Lord together. Companionship in marriage. But this, notice the second aspect of this last phrase and the connection between the marriage companionship and the relationship with God, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. That there is a connection between the marriage relationship and a person's individual relationship with God himself. How is it that the adulterer forgets the covenant of, their, of his God? How does he forget it or she forget it? She forgets it by breaking the marriage relationship. And what Proverbs is, this, this Proverbs is identifying is that in the husband and wife union, there is a union and a commitment of companionship between one another. But that union between one another also entails an individual union for each of them between themselves and God. And so much so that to violate the husband and wife union is to forsake and to forget the covenant of God. The two things go intimately together. First purpose is companionship. The next two purposes I'm going to just mention briefly because um, we'll be addressing them further in upcoming weeks. First one is companionship. Second one is raising godly children. Certainly Genesis and the command to be fruitful and multiply is uniquely designed for marriage. In our society, this idea that marriage is actually for the raising of children is getting pushed away because the idea within our society is that marriage is for the promotion of your personal happiness. And if you have children, maybe your, chi your kids will help you become happier. Maybe your kids can help you have the happy life that you wanted. And if they don't, well, it doesn't really matter. You can move on. They'll, they'll deal with it themselves. Because what's important is your personal happiness. But Proverbs lays out clearly that a purpose of marriage is for the raising of godly children. Notice, how the, notice the partnership of husband and wife in this verse. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Who is, it has, who, who is identified as being the teacher and the instructor? Well, it's both of them. 
It's the husband and the wife, the mother and the father, that both of them are joined together in providing godly wisdom and instruction to their children. Both of them are needed for the mutual support in raising their children. And next week we're going to look at this further in the parent-child relationship. So two, so raising godly children. Again, we'll do that more next week. Third thing, which we'll also get to more in upcoming weeks, is the purpose of marriage is to celebrate sex. That sexual desire and sexuality is given by God for marriage alone to be the legitimate place to celebrate these desires, but that's part of what marriage is for. Proverbs 5, verse 15, which in the context of this is overtly clear. Drink water from your own cistern and flowing water from your own well. If you're thirsty, drink your own water. And Proverbs 5.15 lays that out. In January, we'll be looking more at the sexuality as laid out in the book of Proverbs, as there are several chapters in Proverbs that are devoted to it. But the point here right now is purposes of marriage, companionship, raising godly children, thirdly, to celebrate sex, and fourthly, is ministry to others. Proverbs 31, at the end of it, describes the relationship between a husband and a wife. It describes what the result of a God-fearing relationship is of a, of a relationship and a marriage and a home based on a covenant before God. People individually in relationship with God and committed to one another. And the result is that other people are ministered to. 31 verse 20, that the wife opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. That this is the result of a God-fearing marriage, yes, a marriage in a broken world, a marriage with broken people, but the purpose of it for companionship, raising godly children, celebrating sex, and bringing that ministry, and bringing the ministry of marriage and the grace of God to other people. I want to note here just how liberating and freeing and fulfilling the biblical picture of marriage is, particularly in a day and age where marriage is under attack, particularly the idea of biblical marriage being um, frowned upon and demeaned. Notice how liberating this picture is. In the ancient Near East, at the time that these Proverbs were, were written, women were viewed as property. Marriage was good for childbearing. That a wife was probably also good for being a housekeeper and managing thing, things. But within the ancient Near East concept, there was no room and no considera considera consideration that a wife or a was of that a wife or a woman would have any wisdom to offer. It was a far-fetched thought to think that a wife could be a companion, a deep soulmate, someone who would actually, whose opinion in marriage and parenting actually counted, someone who, for whom your relationship with them would result in the furtherance of marriage. I'm sorry, result in the furtherance of ministry. You see how freeing and fulfilling the biblical picture is, is that against those societal norms, God is saying, no, I have given you marriage for companionship that you would grow in relationship with me through, through one another. That yes, that your home would be a place for partnership in raising godly children and through these things and celebrating your sexual relationship and, and not just that, but also that through your ministry, through your family, that other people would be blessed by your marriage. What a high calling and blessing that God has given for marriage. How different that is. How hopeful that is than the picture of marriage that is tossed about in our culture today. Well, seeing those purposes, how do we get there? How do these purposes actually begin to become a reality in our lives? 
Well, the first thing that is important that Proverbs lays out in considering marriage and who you marry is to choose wisely. That next to deciding to follow Jesus, the most important decision of your life is the person that you are going to marry. It matters who you marry. Don't settle. For some of you who are single, you may think, I must be the loneliest person in the world, and I assure you, you are not. Because the loneliest people in the world are not those who are single and never married. But the loneliest people are those who have been married and are miserable or who have ended that marriage and are continuing to deal with the ramifications of it. Who you marry matters. Notice how Proverbs addresses this. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame, shame is like rottenness in the bones. Who you, marry, who you marry matters. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. These given as a father speaking to his son. Notice here that in this, that it is seen as God's favor to find a God-fearing wife. That if a purpose of marriage is to grow in your companionship, to grow in your relationship with God, that is impossible to do if you marry someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus. That for Christians, marrying a Christian is not optional. And what that means for those who are single and for those who are pursuing marriage is to wait and to pray and ask for God's wisdom and ask for God's patience that you would keep pure. Too many people marry with the idea, you know what, time is ticking, this is probably my best shot, let me just go ahead with it, even though I have so many doubts and reservations. Too many people marry that way. And let me say for those of you who have married that way, it is so often that God uses the challenges of marriage, that God uses the challenges and the distress of marriages breaking up, that God uses that brokenness to bring you into a deep relationship with him. And many times it is not despite those challenges, but because of those challenges, that God's grace abounds to renew your marriage to be it better than you would ever hope for when you first got married. But the point here right now is, to cho is that your choice matters and to choose wisely. But what matters more than that is what you do after you have made your choice. That's what matters more. Three keys here to Proverbs, to a flourishing marriage. First is to communicate. These passages in Proverbs right here describe what happens when communication goes awry. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. So too, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Now, there's also the one for men on this. It's an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife but every fool will be quarreling. The calling here to, for flourishing a marriage is to communicate. And the critical question when you read these Proverbs is not, how do I avoid marrying the dripping faucet? <laughs> because some years into marriage, how do you know, how can I know, how can I 
know what this person is going to be like in different situations in our life. How can I know that ahead of time? For those of you who, for whom the warning flags are glowing red, that's your own issue. But the critical question when you read these Proverbs is this. Not how can I avoid marrying such a person or how can I make my corner of the roof bigger because I'm in such a marriage. But the critical question is this, is how can I avoid pushing my wife towards becoming such a woman? How can I avoid pushing my spouse to being a foolish quarreler? That's the question that I need to be evaluating for myself. Jack Collins, who is my, one of my Hebrew professors, and his insights into, into Proverbs have just been fantastic. He just gives some very practical advice in this regard. How do you communicate well so that you, how do you avoid pushing your spouse to becoming such a, a person, to becoming a dripping falsehood? How do you avoid doing that? One, never criticize or embarrass your spouse in front of others without their permission. Never criticize or embarrass your spouse in front of others. So many couples say, well, that's just how we joke with each other. Well, that's just how we joke. Maybe you say that. If that's how you joke, stop. No man finds public emasculation comical. No man finds that comical. No woman enjoys being exposed and humiliated, period. Never criticize or embarrass your spouse in front of others. So, too, never be satisfied with anything less than understanding acceptance and forgiveness. Is you don't settle for anything less than that. But you continue to pursue reconciliation and to work through things until there is understanding and acceptance and forgiveness. What that means is you don't run away from your problems and that you get help for your relationship if things are getting out of hand. It also entails, this level of communication entails making a commitment to make this relationship, your marriage relationship, the highest priority in your life. Over your work, over your ministry, that the relationship between a husband and a wife is priority over the relationship between parents and their children. It's to commit to making this relationship your highest priority. For other things on communication, I'd refer you back to what else Proverbs says on communication, which we looked at for three weeks in October, which you can get online as we looked at the words of life, words of death, and words of counsel, and the calling to be fountains of life with our speech. Those messages apply in their entirety to marriage. So first key is communicate. Second key, consummate. The definition here for consummate, the original definition is to make perfect or complete. So to consummate a marriage is to make it perfect or complete through sexual intimacy. That sexual intimacy is not a fringe benefit of marriage, but as we saw before, is one of the purposes of marriage itself. So what does that mean? Well, it means you need to protect your sexual relationship and sexual intimacy. Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 14 lays this out very clearly, that you need to protect it. Why do you need to protect it? You need to protect and foster sexual intimacy in marriage because of the lasting effects of unfaithfulness, of which Proverbs speaks very clearly about. And so it's calling for, for couples to protect their sexual relationship and sexual intimacy. And the other reason why you're called to protect it is so that you can rightly celebrate it within marriage. And Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 20 is explicitly clear in terms of what is, being meant, what is meant by that. To consummate and to celebrate 
your sexual relationship within marriage. Now, let me give a piece of advice here. If you are a man and your wife has been urging you and asking you to pray with her and lead Bible study, don't start with this passage. She's not going to trust what you say after that. But the urging here, the calling, is to communicate, to consummate, and thirdly, to cultivate your marriage. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 31. In Proverbs chapter 31, this is a passage of Scripture that if you've never read it, you should read it. But as we go into this, this is a passage of Scripture that has indeed become the burden, I would say, the burden of many women. That many women read this passage of Scripture and look at it and say, this lists all the ways that I fail as a wife and all the ways that I have failed in our marriage. And unfortunately, there are some men who abuse Scripture by holding this up and say, look, honey, at all the ways that you fail. But to rightly understand Proverbs chapter 31, there are several things we need to know. First off, Proverbs chapter 31, 10, 10 to the end, is wisdom personified in a woman. We've been looking at what wisdom personified in a man looks like. Proverbs 31 is what wisdom personified in a woman looks like. Other thing, and we'll, the other thing in the midst of that is what we need to see is that Proverbs 31, as it is set up, is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet. So it is like A is for awesome wife, B is for so on and so forth. And with these letters, this is Proverbs chapter 31 in Hebrew, and the big letters that you see in the red, the dark, the red, red, orange as it progresses through, those are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And each verse of Proverbs 31, beginning at chapter verse 10, goes through a different letter of the alphabet, laying out this ideal woman, this woman of one in whom God's Spirit, Holy Spirit, has worked and His Spirit has redeemed. In Proverbs 31, this woman that is portrayed here is a woman, the portrait of a wife, who cultivates the well-being of her husband. She cultivates the well-being of her husband and she cultivates the well-being of her household. And the man who is married to this woman is that his stature, the husband's stature in society, increases his stature and his reputation and his success grows because of his wife. And Proverbs 31 describes the many ways that she, different, she does this in all these different areas and different spheres of, of, of life. Of this wife who is cultivating her husband and his stature is increasing because of his wife. But what we need to know about Proverbs 31 is that Proverbs 31 was not written as a manual for being a godly wife. It was not written as instructions for women as to what to do to help your husband. Though certainly application can be drawn, that's not the purpose of it. And the way that we know that is because the purpose of Proverbs 31 is for a mother to give advice to her son about marriage. And that's what Proverbs 31 is. It is the advice of a mother speaking to her son about what to look for in marriage and about what marriage is about. How do we know that? Because Proverbs 31 tells us. These are the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Give some other areas of life. Verse 10, it begins. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. So the alphabet of 
the alphabet description of this woman in Proverbs 31 is what a mother is describing to her son that marriage is about. There's two implications of that. One certainly is the emphasis on selection, where the mother is saying to her son, choose wisely, marry wisely. But after that, after you've married, then what? And the exhortation of Proverbs 31 to the husband is to cultivate your wife into all God created her to be, that she would flourish. And in fact, you often hear of the Proverbs 31 wife, but it wasn't written that way. Is that Proverbs 31 was written to be the instructions for the Proverbs 31 husband. And there's two main instructions here laid out in, in Proverbs chapter 31. The instructions for him, we're summarizing here, that you would cultivate the flourishing of your wife. This is how the alphabet begins, and this is how the alphabet ends, like this. The heart of her husband trusts her. What is this excellent life, wife, life? Who can find an excellent wife? The heart of her husband trusts her, and he will have no lack of gain. Here's how it ends. Her husband also, he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you have surpassed them all. Do you see how this is bracketed? Proverbs 31 in the end of this wife is bracketed about the role of the husband. And the role of the husband here is to cultivate his, their wife by setting the tone in their household and setting the tone in the relationship. How is the tone set? The heart of her husband trusts in her. Do you hear that? And you consider the word husband. Ray Ortland just has great insight into the Proverbs 31 husband. One of the things that he points out, he says, just consider the word husband for a minute. What else does that word use for? Whether it's husband, what does that mean? It means someone who's married to a wife, okay? That doesn't help. What else does husband mean? Well, there's husbandry. Husband's also a verb, to husband something, to husband plants. And what does it mean to husband a plant? The original usage means to cultivate it, to cultivate it that it would flourish, to cultivate it that it would grow and blossom. And so what is the calling here of a husband is to cultivate the flourishing of his wife. And how does he do so? By setting the tone in their relationship, that the heart of a husband trusts in her, that the husband praises her, that it is a relationship that he has set the tone where there are no put-downs, no fault findings, no neutral and withdrawn silences, but rather bright and life-giving praise given in the relationship where the husband is husbanding his wife and devoting to cultivating and th that she would flourish. The description of Proverbs 31 is a marriage where, where a marriage that flourishes because husbands are not passive, but are ultimately cultivating the excellence of their wife where their wives are thriving. And we see the description here where he says in the end of the verse, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, when he praises her, the emphasis here is on the husband. Many women have done excellently, excellently, but you surpass them all. For you who are married, how does your wife excel? How does she excel? Tell her. Tell her in front of your children. 
Now, as I say that, I know that there are some of you who are hearing this and saying, how does my wife excel? My wife doesn't excel at anything. What should I, my wife be praised about? There isn't anything about my wife to be praised about. And if that's your thought, you need to know that that is your fault, men. It's your fault. Because God is calling you as husbands to cultivate the flourishing of your wife and that you would husband her into excellence. Is your wife more magnificent because she married you? Is your wife flourishing because of the influence of you in her life? And certainly in Proverbs chapter 31, we see it going both ways because the description of, this wi- of the wife is a wife who is devoted to the cultivating, cultivating the flourishing of her husband. We see it mutually going on there, this mutual cultivation between one another. But God wants to see your wife flourish because of you. Women, God wants to see your husband flourish and for his stature to increase because of your influence in his because of your influence in his life. That that wives would continue to blossom and they would excel and that they would flourish because of the role of her husband in her life, and that not only would her wife, the wife flourish, but that God delights to hear you and your children cheering her on. Do you see the beautiful picture and hope that Proverbs 30 lays out, the, all of Proverbs, Proverbs 31 in particular, lays out for marriage? That the calling for us in our marriage relationship is for husbands to be devoted to the cultivation and the flourishing of his wife, that a wife would be devoted to the cultivation and flourishing of her husband, that both of them would flourish in their reputation, their stature, because of the influence of the other person in their life. Well, why is it that God calls us to this? It's because God calls our marriages to be a picture of our relationship with God himself. That just as we serve a God who gave himself that we might be made holy, that we serve a God who gave himself and died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we would be set free from the shackles that bind us so that we would flourish, that we would have life abundant now for all eternity. So too, we who are married, we who will marry, are called to marry for the flourishing of our spouse. How does that happen? Choose wisely. Communicate. Consummate. Cultivate. That God may be honored and glorified. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we do pray for our marriages. Father, we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit that you would renew, restore, strengthen the marriages in this room. Father, for you know that they are attacked from every different direction. Attacked from outside our marriages, attacked from inside, by our, within ourselves. We who sabotage our own relationships. We who sabotage our own flourishing. And Father, we need your spirit to work that our marriages would flourish. Father, for those who are wrestling and, and working through with the struggle and the brokenness of past relationships or current relationships or the, the tension and the brokenness in their marriage, Lord, our hope is in you. And Father, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit that you would redeem and renew and restore these broken relationships, Lord, that you would redeem, renew, and restore broken people and broken hearts 
that they would find their hope and joy in you, and Lord, that you would bless and heal them. And Father, for those who are not married and those who are not yet married, Father, would you grow them in godliness? Would you grow them in knowing you and living for you, that you would prepare them to be a godly spouse that would cultivate the flourishing of their spouse. Father, all of this is pointless and hopeless apart from your grace, apart from the power of your spirit. So, Lord, we do pray for your spirit to work mightily in this way for the honor of your name, the furtherance of your kingdom, and the sanctification of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.